dive back to our Mandalorian rewatch. We're now on to episode five. It was an overall good episode. I mean, there's never a bad episode, I'd say, in Mandalorian. Just ones that are slightly better than others. The amount that I dislike <laughs> Toro Calacan. He comes across like really confident, but also like... Useless. He, he has no idea what he's uses. This guy just looks like a complete twat. Get that man out of Han Solo's seat, that's what I say. Welcome to episode 36 of Live from Vader's Castle. As always, you're joined by two co-hosts, myself being John Lee um, and my other host, Dan McCrory. How are you, Dan? Good evening. How are we doing? Yeah, not too bad. Another week over. This one's flown by. I know. It is uh, it is officially the weekend. Because yeah, that's, that's what Saturdays usually are. I think it's a bit of a stupid statement. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, as, as you know me and John have been indoctrinated into the cult of the weekend I think we had mentioned that at some point in the past so um, every single episode we just say oh it's the weekend yay so we're saying it again because it is the weekend yeah we need that uh, you know that Daniel Craig meme where it's like he's an SNL and he's like ladies and gentlemen the weekend that's <laughs> literally me every Friday yeah play that at the beginning of the, yeah play that at the beginning of every episode I reckon <laughs> a, cl- a class meme from a class guy. And how's uh, how's things? How's life? Uh, yeah, it's not too bad. I mean, went out drinking Wednesday, went out drinking Thursday. Uh, Friday felt absolutely terrible. So, it, yeah, it's not not too bad. How how's you? Oh, I haven't been doing any of that. I've been behaving myself. Uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, touch wood, and all that. That. You know, nothing goes wrong. Should be seeing Spider-Man on, on Wednesday with John and some other people in London. Opening day, Spider-Man No Way Home. I know it's not Star Wars, but we're both excited about that. Yeah, very excited. I'm <clears throat> really hoping, yeah, nothing nothing goes wrong for that touch wood. Um, yeah. And we can be enjoying that on release day. Oh, very exciting times. And um, so, yeah. And then we also had a bit of a, was it yesterday? Yeah, yesterday we had a bit of a surprise bit of Star Wars news. Sort of came out of nowhere. A bit of Star Wars video game news, which is something that we sort of learned not to ever expect because EA. Um, but this isn't from EA, which is probably why it's good news. We got a, a, a new cinematic trailer for the Quantic Dream Star Wars game, which has now been revealed to be called Star Wars Eclipse. And it's a action adventure, you know, multiple character branching storyline, making decisions that affect the storyline game based in the High Republic. Um, so I thought we could just briefly give our thoughts on it before we dive into the main segment of the episode. Um, I'm imagining both of us are probably quite excited about this game. Oh, yeah. I mean, there wasn't, as you said, it was just like a cinematic trailer. So there's not much given away. Um for things uh, about the game but the cinematic trailer was absolutely beautiful like some of the shots they had in that were unbelievable it, bl- it literally blew my mind away when I was watching it and they're watching it um like it was it was the the trailer you know beautiful as I just said it was intense I feel like the the music they had in the background of this trailer as well was really building up to something towards the end and almost had like goosebumps at the end of it with the, the like just the absolute intense tense scenes we were seeing in this trailer so it's definitely got my uh my spider sense tingling for uh, 
for Star Wars news in the future. Yeah, no, the game looks really, really good. Obviously, there was no gameplay in it. It's just the, the cinematic, but obviously it gives you a bit of a suggestion of, you know, where the game's going to be set, what it's going to be about and that sort of thing. So definitely piqued my interest. It Definitely one of the best game trailers we've had for Star Wars in a long time. Um, so very exciting. Um, and I was just very thrilled to hear that it's going to be set within the High Republic era. I very much get the sense that it's going to be separate from the books and comics and everything. It's going to be its own story of its own characters. And we're not going to see the likes of Elzar Man and Geode and that <laughs> popping up in the game. But I mean, I can still hope for that, but I have a feeling it's either going to be right at the end of the High Republic era sort of, you know, 50 years before Phantom Menace instead of 200 or like even further back than Light of the Jedi, like another 100 years previously to it. So we'll see where it ends up being set, but just seeing a little bit more love for the High Republic is always good. And hopefully this game being released will encourage more Star Wars fans to pick up the books and dive into them because the people who haven't yet are missing out on some great stories. So hopefully this game's a good way of... um getting more people to pick up like the Jedi and the rising storm and all the like. So yeah, excited for it. Excited for the, well, I was going to say excited that the response seems overwhelmingly positive. It is overwhelmingly positive for the game. Um, I think it would be incorrect not to mention the fact that the CEO of the company who are developing the game is a massive arsehole um, because of a history of, very problematic comments that he's made. Um, so there are a lot of people who quite rightly are angry about the fact that this company has made the game. Um, and my only comment on that would be that don't stop shouting about the fact that this guy's an asshole and he should be nowhere near Star Wars um, because hopefully Lucasfilm listen, but also there's probably thousands of really good, hardworking people who have no control over who the CEO of their company is, who have worked on this game, who um, are probably just as passionate Star Wars fans and us, as us and are really excited about it. So even though it's not the best situation to be in, I still am going to buy the game and play the game and talk about the game. Um, but it's, just, it's probably important that when we do talk about the game, we mention that the CEO is a massive asshole and... <laughs> He's uh, definitely over the dark side, not the light side. Yeah, I mean, it's a shame that he is a he is a CEO of this company because, as you said, I'm sure there are a lot of hardworking Star Wars fans and just hardworking, you know, game enthusiasts at that company who've spent probably a good amount of time over the last few years, um, or at least the last few months, uh, you know, working on this game and stuff. So it's a shame that they're being um, that they're you know hard work and stuff has been let down by the CEO Ain't and hopefully. Yeah, tainted by this this the shady CEO bloke, and you know, I'm sure yeah, people will shout loud enough. <clears throat> Mate, I'm yeah. sure they'll find a, a replacement. You know, sometimes it just needs a light shined on these issues. Um, yeah, which hopefully means a replacement can be found. That's you know, someone that everyone can get behind, so that everyone can enjoy the game and not not have to worry about other parts of the business. Yeah, and if there's one thing Star Wars fans are good at, it's being loud and being heard. <laughs> So uh-huh. I'm sure we can use that energy for positivity this time around instead of what is often negativity. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to the game. Yeah, um, me too. I think it looks nice great. To get something, nice to get something fresh from a Star Wars game that one isn't EA, 
Mm-hmm. Two is like not a um, like big multiplayer PvP sort of thing. I mean, this one um, seems like it's going to go down a different path from what yeah. we've heard so far. So yeah, it'd be nice and refreshing, especially with the new era as well, you just said. So yeah, yeah. looking forward to it. It's a good way to mark the end of the EA era of Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. Finally. <laughs> they've, they've let us down too many times. Yeah. So I say move on to bigger and better people. Made some great games, but fumbled the bag massively as well. So if EA wants to continue making a couple of Star Wars games, go for it. But at least we've got other studios now that we can rely on and not just EA because... Well, a lot of people don't like EA and we don't need to start talking about why we don't like EA again because we've done that before. <laughs> yeah, we could be here for hours. Um, so the main topic of conversation for this week's episode is we're going to dive back to our uh, Mandalorian rewatch. Um, we did the, we've done the first four episodes. We're now on to episode five. Um, this will be our last one for a while, probably because Boba Fett, Book of Boba Fett is coming very, very soon. So the next two episodes on the podcast, we're going to be focusing on Boba Fett himself. So we've got a couple of episodes planned as our sort of, uh, in the same way that before the Bad Batch came out, we had a couple of episodes, you know, journeying to the Bad Batch. We're going to do the same for Book of Boba Fett. And then obviously weekly Boba Fett coverage will start when that show comes out. So this will be the last Mando rewatch episode for a while. But it actually has ended up being quite a good episode to round up the um, Mando rewatches before Boba Fett because it is technically in canon the first Mandalorian episode to feature Boba Fett in it, or at least his feet. And um, the episode we are, of course, talking about is uh, Chapter 5, The Gunslinger. Uh, This episode aired first in the USA on the 6th of December 2019, um, and then we had it over here in the UK in April of 2020. Um, it was written and directed by um, everyone's favourite cowboy, Dave Filoni. And um, it is one of the less popular episodes of season one. Um, it's probably, even though I still enjoy it a lot, probably one of my least favourite episodes of The Mandalorian as well. Um, not saying it's bad. It's just when you compare it to some of the other ones, it's just not as good as some of the high heights of um, of the rest of that that first season and the second season as well. But a fun episode nonetheless, and one that I enjoyed rewatching today. Short and sweet, and uh, entertaining, packed full of good Easter eggs. So I'm looking forward to uh, chatting it chatting it through with John right now. Yeah, it was a. It's quite a short and sweet episode actually. This one. It was only um. It's only like thirty five minutes 30 minutes I think when I uh, get a quick look when I watched it earlier um, but yeah it's, a, it's an episode that I think is again as I mean as you say it's like not one of my <clears throat> top favourite ones but good episode nonetheless I mean got, get introduced to some new characters um, that obviously then return other Star Wars media um, got a little bit of a bit of action I mean we, I feel like they probably could have dragged out the action a bit more a bit Given a bit more fight scenes in there, maybe. Um, but it was an overall good episode. I mean, there's never a bad episode, I'd say, in Mandalorian, just ones that are slightly better than others. Yeah, and that's that's what you come to expect in any TV series, really. I think this is one of the episodes that gets the the filler title slung at it. And to be honest, it's probably the closest I'd say the Mandalorian comes to an episode which could be deemed filler. In my opinion, filler 
doesn't really exist because the more time you spend with a character, the more time you get to connect with them on an emotional level. So eventually when something bad happens to them, you feel it a lot more. So I wouldn't go down that line too far, but I can understand the argument. The episode kicks off with Mando in a gunfight with another bounty hunter. The Razorcrest is damaged. He lands on Tatooine and to pay for his ship to be repaired, he searches for a bounty and assists a young and up and coming bounty hunter with his first bounty in the hopes that he'll be able to get the money and get his ship repaired. But, you know, as, as any good Star Wars story, it's never as simple as that. And violence and betrayal and deceit ensues in this episode. So it's quite a simple plot premise. It's a, a fun adventure of the week in the uh, the style that Mandalorian Mandalorian has become quite known for. Um, but I don't think there's anything in there which is criminally bad, um, apart from the amount that I dislike <laughs> Toro Calacan, the, uh, <laughs> the new character introduced in this episode. He serves his purpose well, because I think he's an arsehole. Um, but, you know, that's the point. Yeah, I completely agree. He's a complete tosser. I was not a fan of him as soon as uh, as soon as he's introduced on screen. <clears throat> I was like, who's this geezer? I don't think I I don't think I realized it in the first time I watched it around, but obviously this time it walks in and I just the first time he's on screen in this in this episode, it's just I'm just like, this guy just looks like a complete twat. The way he's just like sitting on the uh, sitting in that bench with his feet up on the table. It's like you've got no manners, mate. I mean, I know it's a scum of hive and and see a hut what's the expression? Oh my god. Hive of scum and villainy. Scum and villainy. Nearly yeah, there, yeah. I, I wasn't in there, I got my words mixed up. Hive of scum and villainy, but at least you know, put your put your feet on the floor, don't put them on the table. And the um, absolute just the uh the what's the word? The the fact that he's doing it in hand solo seat as well. Disgusted, disgrace. Get that man out of hand solo seat, that's what I say. Yeah, I'm surprised that seat hasn't got um like some red rope across it. And like you have to pay entry to go visit. This is such a, a legendary piece of uh, trivia in the Star Wars universe. <laughs> of, they, they should have they should have framed it and then put like a little memorial to Greedo there or something. Because um, I think that's a wasted opportunity. Yeah, rest in peace, Greedo. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I wasn't a fan of his character. Um, although, yeah, as you say, he serves his purpose well. I think the, the actor did a good job of portraying him to be cocky enough to be annoying, while also um, really, uh, like novice. I, I, I thought that's probably a better way of saying yeah, it. But yeah. He comes across like really confident, but also like useless. He, he has no idea what he's doing. Yeah, useless. He's yeah. still got no idea what he's doing, which I think mm-hmm. is portrayed really well by the uh, by the actor there. Yeah, I actually think the actor did a really good job. I think Dave Filoni definitely said to him, like, the point is people need to dislike this character. So I, I do think he did the exact job he needed to do. I just don't like the character. I'm glad he died at the end of the episode so we never have to see him again. He's not a character that I want to see five years younger and be like, oh, I wonder what Toro Calacan was up to in, you know, zero BBY. No, I don't, I never, <laughs> we don't need to see him again. Uh, the only person I apologise to is the actor because he probably loved being in Star Wars and probably he's never going to get to be in Star Wars again because <laughs> no one liked his character. But, you know... Show business is a is a tough is a tough business, and uh, you know hats off to to Dave Filoni and the actor for making a character so incredibly unlikable. I mean, I sort of compare him to like the um, 
the self-obsessed, like overly privileged, like Eton schoolboy who like thinks that they're like super smart and super good at everything. But the only reason they've, they are all those things is because mummy and daddy have like paid their way through life and they've actually got no real talent. Uh, so that's, that is how I see him. And I think he, uh, he definitely <laughs> comes across convincingly in that sense. Yeah. Like really cocky and confident, but completely useless. Um, and I think Mando sees right through him in this episode, which is one of the aspects of this episode I, I enjoy the most. Yeah, I mean that's true. Actually, I think this does give um, gives Mando an opportunity to uh, take the reins off this fella and kind of just put him in his place a bit at times in the episode, which is it's always entertaining to watch a seasoned veteran like Mando, um, you know, take a take a young novice under his wing and put him in his place a few times. Uh, always enjoyable. Um, and again, I suppose this goes to show it demonstrates in this episode just how like experienced Mando is with this sort of stuff. I mean, there's a few times when they're like driving around on their speeder bikes and Mando like gets them to stop because he said to see something up ahead or at one point, you know, he like, they like jump, he jumps off his speeder bike and he's like, oh, get down. You know, it's just, it's uh, stuff like that. That's really separates the two of them and really goes, put an emphasis just on how good of a bounty hunter and how skilled Mando is compared to like this guy who I'm assuming has some training as he's made it this far in life as a n- new bounty hunter. Um, but yeah, Mando just absolutely outshines him. Yeah, I think my the uh, the judgment that I get of Toro Calacan is that uh, he's like the son of some like really wealthy like sort of like dodgy land baron or something, and um, his he's fallen out of his parents, so he's just like taken all the money off of his all the credits off of his um, trust fund, used it to buy a, a blaster. A, a new jacket and a ship and is flown off to Tatooine in hopes that he can become a bounty hunter, which is why, because obviously at the end of the episode, Mando just opens up his pockets and he's got a load of credits in it. So clearly he's got loads of money, but he, this is his first job as a bounty hunter. So the money he's got hasn't come from bounty hunting. So either he's stolen it and I'm kind of leaning towards he hasn't because he's got no talent at, you know, being a criminal. So I think this is just like daddy's money that he said, right, dad, I really want to be a bounty hunter. So I'm going to take a hundred thousand credits and get out of here. I'm going to buy a ship and a blaster and I'm going to be a legend. Um, which is shameful behavior really, because you don't see the greatest bounty hunters in the, in the galaxy, the likes of Bosk, Boba Fett, Mando, they weren't privileged. They had to fight their way to the top. And this guy thinks he can do it all with a couple credits in his pocket. Shameful behaviour. Yeah, it really makes you think, doesn't it, about um, like his character? Because obviously his whole motivation in this episode is to get, you know, complete a bounty so significant um, that it gets him ticket into the, the Bounty Hunters Guild sort of thing, which obviously makes me think, one, he obviously he's chose, he chooses Fennec Shan as his first bounty, who then Mando just kind of stands up in shock and is like, well, she's a highly proficient assassin has worked for like all sorts of criminals organizations in the galaxy. You know, even the huts have employed her at times, which is an impressive feat. So you clearly have absolutely no idea who this woman is and you've just chosen her for, um, cause people said like, I'll get you some, some notoriety, which then obviously backs up the theory we just mentioned here about how he's clearly not come from like a criminal background <clears throat> necessarily. Cause I feel like if he had, he probably wouldn't have chosen such notorious woman to go after. Um, as such a new, I'm just picturing like the the guy who gave him the bounty puck 
it's just like, oh, this guy's a dickhead. And he's just given the most ruthless, fearsome assassin. So he definitely dies. <laughs> that was definitely yeah. what happened. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's probably the, uh, I reckon whoever gave it to him was saving that one for Mando to come back from, you know, getting the child stuff. And they're like, oh, we've got one here for Mando. He'll be able to manage it. And then he comes in. Obviously, Mando's fucked off and uh, a traitor to the guild. This fella's walked in all swag and cop- cocky and they're like, oh, okay, you know what? We'll have a bit of a laugh here. We'll give it to this fella. We'll, and we'll, we'll, sell, be it. Funny. we'll sell it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, he'll die, then we'll sell it again in, in a few weeks. Yeah, this will be a funny one. Should we give this guy a better chat? Yeah, that'll be so jokes. <laughs> yeah. No, it's good. It's, I, I think it is like quite a fun setup for the episode. And obviously we, um, at the beginning of the episode, like Mando lands in this hangar and the, we meet this character. You, um, it was Pelly, wasn't it? Her name. Pelly, um, yeah. Pelly Mossa is her name. Yeah. And her pit droids. Um, and, you know, he wants a ship fixed, but he doesn't want the droids used and he needs to find some money to do it. So I think it's a good little setup. It makes sense. Like in the last episode, we established that the bounty hunters were still going to be chasing baby Yoda. So it makes sense that this episode opens with them being chased by a bounty hunter I believe I found this out the other day because it was in my Lego advent calendar. Riot Mar is the name of that bounty hunter because I built his a mini version of his Starfighter <laughs> in my Lego advent calendar the other day. So there's a fun bit of trivia for you. Um, see, I think it's a fun setup. And obviously just, I think I'm, I'm a stuck, I'm a sucker for nostalgia. I'm a sucker for seeing things I recognize and things that I know. So just hearing, you know, Tatooine, Moss Eisley and then seeing the desert and the cantina and the dune sea and the Tuscan Raiders like all of that was just enough for me to overlook the fact that it was a fairly not inconsequential but less consequential episode than a lot of the other ones in the season and just enjoy a little bit of good nostalgia hit and um just general Star Wars silliness and fun so I think that's what the episode succeeds in for me yeah Hundred percent. There was so much, so many little nods and Easter eggs in this episode that you can tell. Tell Dave Filoni's obviously like come in with John Favreau and they've started writing out this episode. You know, because obviously John writes the skeleton of like the whole series and stuff. And I'm sure him and Dave have come and sat down and they've kind of filled in the blanks in this one. And they're just probably sitting down, have it set on Tatooine, and then between the two of them, they're probably just sitting there like trying to see how many Easter eggs they could throw in in like this episode alone. It's like, oh, what if we had that in there? Like, oh, what if we place this here? And oh, what if we have that character there? Or like the Tuscan Raiders, for example, what if we chuck them in as well? You know, I reckon they were just sitting there trying to see. I reckon they had a little competition between the two of them. They had a notepad and they were trying to figure out who could fit in the most Easter eggs in, in their version of the story. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think the, the two of them, they're the kind of nerds as well who just, you can just tell how excited they would have got by being like, oh, let's just recreate the Moss Eisley Cantina set. Oh, let's, let's put R4, R4 uh, wait, oh, come on. R5, D4, is that? No. Oh, R4. Anyway, let's put the droid from A New Hope in there. Let's replace Wu Hair with uh, a droid because Wu Hair said no droids in here and now there's a droid. And oh, he's voiced by Mark Hamill. Oh, you know, you can tell that they were having the absolute time of their life, just like scattering this episode with as many sort of Easter eggs and nods as they could. So you have to respect it as a as a fellow Star Wars nerd. Yeah, 100%. And I'm sure there's, <clears throat> there's some that while watching it even for the second time now, I probably missed and some niche references somewhere that uh, if I 
go back and watch it a third time, I might pick up or to be honest, I might have to go in and read the trivia section on IMDb uh, to pick up most of them. I've got quite a good list for later on. I've I've got a, a pretty hefty left list. I'm not I'm not sure it's the whole list, but it's something. Nice. I'm looking forward to going into that later. Um, I guess we can just talk about some of our sort of favourite moments from the episode. I think one that um I really enjoyed, and I think is quite a consequential scene because it goes on to being quite significant in. Um, season two of the Mandalorian, and I fi- I have a feeling sort of quite going to be consequential in Bog- Book of Boba Fett as well, which is this episode being the first episode really in or well, the first time in all of Star Wars that we've been introduced to this idea of like the Tuscan Raiders as sort of being misunderstood. So in in this episode when Mando and Tora Calacan are racing across the Dune Sea to get to Fennec, they pull up and stop because Mando sees some. Banthers and some Tuscans and um Tora Kalakan makes the, the point of, oh, you know, I've heard of these savages, basically. And sort of let's shoot our way out is basically what he's insinuating. And Mando's like, you know, this is their land. From their perspective, this is their land and we're trespassing on it in the sense that like Tatooine belongs to them and all these humans and aliens who have come to Tatooine are trespassing on their land. It's sort of a bit of a um similar idea to sort of you know native americans versus you know everyone who has came and colonized america um so there's that sort of really interesting dynamic and then obviously in this episode it's very brief but mando negotiates using sign language with the tuscans asking permission if they could pass through their land and the tuscans are like yeah sure basically give us those binoculars off you go and then it's fine they don't end up getting a fight with the tuscan raiders and obviously this picks up in season two in that whole brilliant episode where um, Mando and Cole Vamp work together with the Tusken Raiders to take on the Crate Dragon. And then I think Book of Boba Fett, the trailers are suggesting that perhaps Boba Fett worked with the Tuscans or was rescued by the Tuscans or lived with the Tuscans for a period of time after the Sarlacc pit. So it's a really interesting thing that John Favreau and Dave Filoni have chosen to do in these collection of series of just introducing this new side to the Tuscan Raiders in like the original trilogy, they were just like sand people, savages. And then in the prequel trilogy, they were the, the people who like tortured and enslaved and essentially caused the death of Anakin's mother. And, you know, here we're seeing a different side of them. So this is one of the standout bits for me. I know it's only a little scene in this episode, but I think this, the way that Mando understands the Tuscan Raiders for who they really are. Um, and, you know, we see a different side to them in this episode. I think it's quite a big consequential um, scene and it's definitely one of my favourite moments in the episode. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> that's a good point. Actually, they are, they have added a bit of depth to the Tuscan Raiders within the, the last few um, few years in Star Wars, um, I suppose, especially in the Mandalorian. <clears throat> so, yeah, I mean, it is interesting because I, I suppose the, the, man, the, the, the Tuscan Raiders are, you would suppose, like the native people of Tatooine as they get, you know, they live off the land, you know, they live in harmony with like the creatures such as the Banthers and stuff, you know, they're experts at like hunting the the dangerous wildlife um, on Tatooine, uh, such as like the great dragons. Um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting to find out there's a bit more depth to these characters and just them shrieking and waving sticks about. Um, and then it brings up the question is, as you say, like how come Mando's got such a, no, it's got more of a depth of knowledge about their culture and like their way of life and, you know, um, 
he's seems to be the first character in Star Wars we've seen for a while. That's obviously taken time to be like, you know, we're going through their land and kind of see their point of view. So I'd be interested to see if um where he got that viewpoint from. I don't know if it's explained somewhere and I've missed it, um, which wouldn't surprise me, but yeah, I think mean, that's, that yeah, is an interesting character point for, for Mando. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't think they ever answered that, actually, of why Mando knows and has like an understanding with the Tuscans and how he knows to communicate with them. So, yeah, that's a bit of backstory that we don't know, I guess. I like that. Thanks. I mean, I'll, I'll give you my, one of my favourite moments in the episode is, is nowhere near as, um, I feel like, impactful or even... Um, this is mine is such like an absolute passing moment that when I say it, you'll be like, what on earth? But it's just the one point of this episode that stuck with me <clears throat> since watching it. I mean, I remember watching it the first time. And it's just after Samando so and um, Toro are like on their speeder bikes, like zooming towards Fennec and she's like sniping them. And it's just after Mando hits the sand, face for the sand. And then Fennec's still got like her sniper on him. And he kind of just gets up and stands there, just stands like completely like, just up straight it just shoots him in the chest <laughs> and it was just like this whole episode like the last like five ten minutes you've been like trying to think about how you're gonna outplay her like okay we've got these flash grenades like, that'll do it like he spotted her from like a mile away like he's been sniped a few times already but he's managed to get away and like get behind cover and then he just stands there <laughs> and just gets shot in the chest <laughs> He's just a hard man, isn't he? He just knows yeah. that our best guy's going to keep him safe. So he's like, go on then, I dare you. <laughs> uh, I'm assuming he was actually using himself as a distraction so that Toro could get behind uh, Fennec and, you know, pin her down. But it, was just, it made me laugh, the fact that like, he took a face for the sand and instead of like immediately running for cover or like trying to hide, he literally just like stands up and just gets shot in the chest. And it's just like, what are you doing? Yeah, that whole, the the whole thing with the, the speeder bikes, um, and like the waiting till night time and doing like the flashes with the speeder bikes. I think that's just a really, really cool scene. And it's, <clears throat> I mean, I think, I mean, I'm a big fan of the speeder bikes in Star Wars from, you know, Return of the Jedi, the end or chase scene is one of my all time sort of favorite scenes in Star Wars, but also one of my earliest memories of Star Wars. So for me, seeing speeder bikes is always going to be like, hell yeah. But I think it was a really creative way to use them in this Mando basically being like, right, ride as fast as you can, try not to get sniped and every now and then fire one of these flash grenades up in the air and hope that we don't die and then as you said at the end he just sort of stands still and he's like right go on then <laughs> shoot me see what happens <laughs> so yeah I think it's a, a really funny scene yeah I mean because you think as well by that point she, she's she's aware he's wearing Beskar she, she shot him a few times and he's still coming at her but maybe she maybe he was too far away and she thought she missed or didn't quite realise that she hit him as cleanly as she did the first few times I don't know, but yeah, it's just like you've worked this hard to be like this proficient and avoiding getting shot and like sneaking up on her and having like a nice tactical <clears throat> tactical um, plan to avoid getting shot. And then at the end of it, you just like, oh, fuck it, shoot me. See, I, th- I think I think Fennec was actually just like, you know what, I respect this guy. I'm going to shoot him, but I'm going to hit him in the best guard because he actually seems all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just like, go for the headshot, uh, go for the chest, all right, go but like, it wouldn't have helped either way. To sort of interrupt uh, the, the conversation we're having at the moment, I've just sort of had an absolute um, eureka moment. Because have, 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 Has anyone ever discussed the fact of like why Fennec was on Tatooine in the first place? Uh, not that I'm aware of, so I could be forgetting something. 
see, this could be a big plot point in Book of Boba Fett. I don't know. It's just genuinely just come out of nowhere. Because obviously we know that Boba Fett finds Fennec, fixes her up, and then she agrees to sort of, you know, she's in debt to him. It's going to work with him. That's how we see them in season two. And then obviously in Book of Boba Fett, they're working together. What if the reason that Fennec Shand was on Tatooine in this episode was that she was searching for Boba Fett? Could you, could you imagine? She maybe, was actually, she was searching him out. Yeah, exactly. She'd heard rumours that um, he was still alive. You know, she, we know that she knows Omega. She's met Omega before. So, you know, possibly at some point in her life, she's met Bobber as well. And she's heard rumours that he was still alive somewhere, that there was this guy out chilling in the desert with the Tuscans. And then she came to Tatooine and thought, all right, let's go look for him. Yeah, maybe. Because as well... Because Mando says she works, she did work for the Huts, so oh, they might true. have known each other yeah. anyway. Yeah. So maybe she, with this bounty on her head, heard rumours of Boba Fett being about, and was like, right, I'm going to go see if he can help me out with this and we can work together. Because yeah, if you've got a big bounty on your head, like, you'd probably go and hide in Coruscant or something, you know, like there's, you know, it's like absolute metropolis where there's like really difficult to find you, not just in the middle of a desert where you stick out like a sore thumb. So I think she was onto something, you know. She was yeah, looking plus, for Boba. Yeah, so I'm they must, maybe they must have known each other. Oh, why Boba like bother fixing her up? Exactly. Just, I suppose get a, get a servant afterwards. Exactly. Um, oh, maybe we've just sussed something out. See if this comes into play in Book of Boba Fett, we're both geniuses. <laughs> yeah, we are. We, we're recording it on this day. Yeah, exactly. You've heard now, it here first. <laughs> so if it if it comes out later, you know we've preempted it. This is the 11th of December, as we're saying this. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, uh, I mean, that just sort of takes me on to talking about I think the, the other sort of favourite moment for me in this episode is that conversation between Fennec Shand and Toro Calican. Um, obviously, Mando heads off to get this due back so that they can get um, Fennec back to Mos Eisley and leaves Toro with her. Um, and they sort of just you know, sit there for ages until the sun comes up or the twin suns. She makes the point of saying that the suns are up. Um, and then I think Fennec clocks onto the fact that this guy's a bit of an idiot. <laughs> and they have this like really interesting conversation where, you know, she points out that like Mando has just shot up the guild. Like he's got a precious package with him. He's got a massive bounty on his head and makes this really specific point of like the person who brings him in would be, legendary like would become a legend in the guilds and i just love the scene because it plays so well into toro calican's character of like all he's all he cares about is just being a legend like he's he's as he said he's not in it for the money probably because he's got loads because he's a rich boy we can tell um but you know for him it's an image thing like it's a narcissistic like he wants people to like take him seriously he wants to be recognized he wants to be a legend he wants to be remembered for you know being some awesome bounty hunter when really he's just a little fraud basically um but just the way that like fenix so successfully like manipulates him into um being more interested in mando than in her as a bounty i think is a brilliant scene but then the bit where it was like remember the first time i watched it like, actually surprised me was that he when he goes over to like release her and then actually just shoots her like dead on the spot basically 
Because I was like, damn, I wasn't expecting that. Like I thought the two of them were going to team up and go after Mando or, you know, or she was going to trick him into breaking her out and then kill him. Like I, I really didn't expect that, <laughs> that eventuality that he was going to end up just killing her, which made me dislike him even more because even though Fennec was a baddie in this episode, I still liked the character. So I thought it was a really interesting scene. Great dialogue, great acting from the two of them. It was really well shot by Dave Filoni with the, the twin sun sort of rising in the background. Um, so yeah, it's one of my, one of my favorite scenes of the episode and it's one that's stuck in my head for, for quite a long time since I first saw it. Yeah. I mean, the conversation is actually really, it's really clever and it does show, it does <clears throat> go to show how Fennec Shan's like slowly trying to manipulate um, Toro there. I personally, I think it's, it's, it's like the conversation Mando had with him earlier, like right at the start of the episode about like just how notorious this woman is and how, like cutthroat she is, that that's probably why he then just like shoots her instead of teaming up. I reckon if they never had that conversation, he might have fallen for it. But I think he was at that point so mm. scared of her yeah. that she, he'd literally undo the handcuffs and she'd like do him in like she'd like one bang him. Yeah, that that's he, a good uh, point. That he was like, oh, okay, I can't take this risk. I'll just I'll just kill her and take Manda for myself. Yeah, because he's a coward. He he wouldn't want to actually have to fight her again because he fought her a couple hours ago and got absolutely clowned on. So, <laughs> yeah, I suppose that didn't help either. The fact that he got bloody beaten to a pulp by her. I'm pretty sure she was up almost, she was close to breaking his arm, I'm pretty sure, before Mando steps in. Yeah, before Mando stepped in. Yeah, exactly. Phoenix the goat. I'm, I'm sure Mando was kind of just watching for a bit. I'm so I'll see how it gets on. It's like, oh, it's probably time to intervene now. <laughs> I reckon he was tempted just to let her like snap his arm before he got involved for a second. He was like, should I just let her break the arm <laughs> before I get in there? <laughs> and no one would blame him. No one would yeah, blame him. No one would blame him. Um, have you got any any other sort of moments in the episode that you particularly enjoyed? Uh, not particular. I think just the it was it was really cool. Just the whole introduction. I think I finished and was <clears throat> was really cool. And it's it's nice to see. Uh, I can't remember the woman's name. Is it Ming Na Wen? Ming Na Wen. It's nice yeah. to see her in another Disney project. Um, obviously being in Marvel's Mar- Into Shield, and I think she plays a Disney character, like a cartoon characters just the voice of someone I'm pretty sure is it Mulan Ooh, or is that know. two on the nose I feel like it might be Mulan well, I'm pretty sure she's like know. covered all I'm pretty sure she's covered all three like Marvel Star Wars and like Disney Princess sort of thing now oh. so it's nice to see her nice to see her get the the, the triple threat there across Disney oh no you're right yeah she yeah. she is Mulan she was Mulan back in 99 yeah yeah, yeah. So it doesn't seem old enough, not gonna lie. Yeah, I was I just thought for a second you were being really culturally insensitive. <laughs> <laughs> I was worried then. I was like, no, I, I, this, I am right here. I'm not just yeah. being like, they've got an Asian woman in Star Wars. Has she played Mulan? <laughs> yeah, no, sure. She's had a she had a pretty impressive career then. Big up. I really like Ming Wen like as a as an individual, she seems really awesome and she just seems so excited to be in Star Wars. So it's uh it's great to see that she was brought back to life after this episode. Yeah, I mean, it was nice to see. Oh, it's, it was lovely seeing her in season two coming back. And then <clears throat> obviously it was great seeing her in Bad Batch. So it's nice that Disney or Lucasfilm, I suppose, um, are just like having this like a one-off Mandalorian character that we've seen her or, already in Bad Batch. I hopefully get to see her in, uh, in other Star Wars bits and pieces because yeah. yeah, she's a really cool character, great actress. I think she's, she's done, doing a fantastic job with the character so far. I think she actually did say in an interview recently that she was meant to be a one-off character. And um, she 
like had a conversation with Dave and then Dave and John were like, oh, it could be quite cool to bring her back next season. Like she seems like a cool character. And then that's when they, I think that's when they wrote the scene of like her being found at the end or that was always a part, but she was found dead. I can't, I can't remember which way around it was, but it, she was originally meant to be just like a one and done character, but they, they liked her performance. The fans seemed to like the character. So they brought her back in season two, which I think is really cool. Hopefully that will never happen for Toro Calican. <laughs> yeah. God, imagine who, who, who's he gets saved by? Like what scene, what scene like right that? Like fucking like boss comes in like reverse or something. <laughs> Makes Windu stumbles through the desert as an old man, finds Toro Calican's corpse. And a, what was her name? Pelly said that she wanted the pitroids to drag him out to Beggar's Canyon, which was a, another nice little Easter egg. But um, <laughs> I just picture like, you know, this all, the, all these memes about Mace Windu still being alive, which personally I don't think he is. And I don't really want to see him alive again. But, you know, he's just stumbling through the desert as an old man. And he's like, oh, who's this guy? <laughs> bring him back to life with a little bit of force healing and then he's just like oh damn why did I bring this guy back he's an arsehole <laughs> <laughs> oh that would be that would be an interesting story um, but one that I, I wouldn't come to wish into fruition if they ever do a Star Wars what if that's the what if episode I want what if Mace Windu survived and brought Toro Calican back from the dead <laughs> uh, yeah I think that would fit in as well like perfectly with like how fucking mental what if is sometimes yeah exactly um, I guess the one sort of last thing I wanted to mention, and I think that I'm setting you up for talking about your standout character of the episode. So I just thought the general comedy with Pelly, the Pitroids, Baby Yoda, the hangar that they were in was quite funny. I liked the scene when Baby Yoda came down, like when she thought there was like some scary thing inside the Razor Crest, and actually it was just Baby Yoda. Um and the little line that she had of like, um, like we're on the same team or something like that, because she was like, I'm going to look after you and then charge Mando extra for me looking after you. Um, I thought that was quite funny. So I just want to give a special shout out to, is it Fingui? Oh, what's her name? Is it Amy? Amy something, Amy isn't it? Said, said, Sedaris, that's it, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I thought she was a, a nice, funny introduction in this episode and it was nice to see her pop back up again in a, in a season two. But I think we can use that to uh, to um, segue what? into standout, standout character of the episode, John. Yeah, nice. I mean, yeah, she she is my standout character this episode. Just It's like just off the, off the bat, you know, you get Mando coming down, on a ship that's clearly been in the fight. Uh, he walks off the ship, Mandalorian, clearly a hard geezer with uh, just being a scrap, you know, an intimidating bloke. And she, he walks out and then she just comes straight out and is like, oh, what on earth do you think you're doing shit my droid sort of thing? Absolutely doesn't skip a beat with him at all. Straight in with the, the I don't know, like sarcastic humour, I suppose, um, which I just thought was fantastic and just shows like how unscathed she clearly is by um, the scum and villainy uh, that is uh, around Moss Eisley. Um, so <laughs> She's used that was, to them that all now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Just as a, a woman who's been there a while and is just unfazed by whatever she comes across these days. You know um, for a fact she's had a run in my hand solo. Like she, she's, oh, yeah. she's got to have at some point 
had the Falcon parked there and been fixing up and he's just really wound her up and she's decided from that point onwards I can't deal with any of these scoundrels anymore they come into my hangar they're getting paid double <laughs> yeah I mean to be honest Han probably still owes her money um, for, for something so uh. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see that comic so bad just like a just a one-off little story of Han parking the Falcon there and her being the one fixing it and him not paying her the full amount <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure there were some sort of charming negotiations between uh, her and Ham, and where basically Ham was like, um, "Yeah, I'll, I'll, well, I'll pay double next time," sort of thing. Like, "Oh, you know, I'll, I'll owe you, so you can trust me." That sort of, you know, Han Solo vibe. Stole a um, pit droid whilst he was at it. <laughs> yeah, and then obviously went to go fight the Empire and has never returned to pay his debts. Um, but yeah, and, and then obviously said with her, like her. Um, her like relationship with uh, baby Yoda, I think is also like great. Um, and it does, like it just goes to show that she's a, um, you know, like determined woman when it comes to like her business and, you know, chat Amanda and stuff. But then when little baby Yoda comes out, she's like, Oh, I can, she's, she's two dimensional or more than uh one dimensional. I say, at least she, she can, she has two sides to her that she can show some na- nurturing care and affection to little baby Yoda. Yeah. Yeah. No, I thought she was a, a really fun character. And, one of the characters that I wasn't like clamoring for to come back in season two, but when she popped back up at the beginning of season two, I was like, Oh, it's nice seeing her again. Like she's a good character. So hopefully she, I mean, Book of Boba Fett is set on Tatooine. So, you know, one could hope that she might pop up. Maybe Boba Fett needs a slave one fixed. Who's going to fix it? It's got to be, it's got to be our girl Pelly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, hopefully she gets some extra business from Boba from just word of mouth through Mando. They're just sitting in the, in Slave One, like somewhere in in um, season two, and he's just like, "Oh, have I got a hanger for you to go to? Like this woman's great." <laughs> yeah, he's just Boba Fett rocks off, and he's like, "Oh, Dinjar and gave me your business card." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that'd be great. She she deserves it. She deserves the extra business. Yeah. Um, my standout character in the episode, one that I've already spoken about quite extensively, Fennec Shand. Um, I thought this was a brilliant introduction to the character. And whilst like the first time I watched this episode, I was just like, Fennec Shand seems cool. Nice, like good antagonistic character. I like the sort of the helmet and the sniper look. Ming-Na Wen's great. Like that was my first thoughts. But now that I've like seen her more in like season two and like in Bad Batch as well, and like going back and watching this episode, I was like, this is a really good introduction to Fennec Shand as a character, like really mysterious. You don't really know whether she's all good or all bad or just a little bit of both, like most characters in Star Wars are. Um, so I just thought it was a really good introduction to the character, like the fact that she's just like a ruthless assassin and sniper um, who has got such a like notoriety among bounty hunters, I think is a really cool way to introduce her as a character and then seeing her in other Star Wars media as a real badass and a, and a you know, in Bad Batch, a, a fighter who goes toe-to-toe with Cad Bane and, you know, comes out unscathed, you know, not to be messed with. So um, I thought she was a great character in this episode and it was a really good introduction and I'm glad that we're, that, 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 that this is Fennec Shan's world and we're just living in it. She's an, another great character. And I'm looking forward to, I can't believe I'm saying this, owning her skin on Fortnite. <laughs> God, this 
it's, it's the girl from Fortnite. Yeah, um, exactly. It's what they're all going to be saying one day. It's the girl from I can't wait for that meme to come out. Like, what's it like? When's the Boba Fett skins coming out? Like Christmas, Christmas Eve? Eve Christmas, yeah. Christmas Day is going to be a TikTok feed, isn't it? It's just going to be people <laughs> taking this episode of The Mandalorian or probably one from season two when she just like, appears behind Boba Fett. And it's like, it's the guy from Fortnite. Um, yeah, unbelievable so. stuff. <laughs> I mean, you've got I might to be have a to get the uh, successful character. Yeah, exactly. I, I was just going to say, I might have to get the Funko Pop because there's, there's, there's a quite nice Fennec Shand Funko Pop coming out next year, which I might need to get. It looks pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. It's a very, <clears throat> she's a very interesting character in the stuff we've seen her in uh, so far in Star Wars. And you got to be, you got to be doing well to get a callback from uh, your one episode, you know, thing, as you mentioned earlier in The Mandalorian. And then, to uh, appear in season two and then you know she's going to appear in Book of Boba Fett to her yeah. Fortnite skin she's got pop bunkers you know clearly a, a popular character and it's goes, all well deserved goes from the high of not just appearing in Boba Fett but being the co-lead of Boba Fett to your next thing being a Fortnite skin <laughs> it's like Book of Boba Fett is probably like one of the biggest one of, probably one of the biggest um, moments in Ming-Na Wen's career because she's not just being a character, like a an appearing character, she's like co-leading it alongside Tamara Morrison, and uh, she's also been relegated to being a Fortnite skin. So <laughs> swings and roundabouts. Highs and lows in Star Wars. <laughs> um, well, I imagine as an act and as an actor or actress, it's probably quite exciting when you find out that your character has landed so well with the general public that you've been made into a video game character skin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean. Uh... It's like when you you see like um, oh, who's the actor that played like Shang Chi? Like he was buying all his merch and stuff. Do you think yeah, do the same Lou, yeah. yeah, do you think they do the same for like Fortnite skins? Like <laughs> oh, I have to download Fortnite just so I can uh, buy my character skin. Although hopefully you'd get it for free, but yeah, that's another thing. Yeah, outrageous! Could you imagine? Could you imagine Harry Kane if he couldn't get his Harry Kane skin for free? He'd be raging, wouldn't he? <laughs> yeah, it's got to be in the contract somewhere. <laughs> Um, so moving on from Fortnite skins onto uh, characters that definitely won't ever get Fortnite skins. Favorite background characters? <laughs> Do you want to go first, John? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I can't imagine this character being a Fortnite skin, but you know, stranger things have happened. Um, my character is one that Dan mentioned earlier, and it's just uh, it's the droid behind the bar in the cantina, which is one an interesting one because yeah, droids weren't even allowed in the bar. Uh, when we first see the place in uh, New Hope, so it's interesting to see there's now a now a droid behind the bar serving the drinks, and then just to, to top it all off, the uh, the droid is voiced by none other than Star Wars legend himself, Mark Hamill. Um, although he's uncredited, and I think this was just something that I'm assuming just got like not leaked, but just like maybe someone mentioned it. Um, yeah, they did it in post. In the behind and the then, scenes. yeah, they just yeah. revealed it in the behind the scenes thing. They were like, oh, yeah, by the yeah. way, that we just called out Mark and we were like, can you read this line? I think it was the story about it. <laughs> yeah, nice. I mean, it's just it's just a lovely little Easter egg for the fans uh, to to have Mark Hamill in it and in this uh, in this episode, which is a, a complete, you know, I would say blink and you miss it, but it's just his voice. So it's like, I don't know, whatever the equivalent is for your ears. But yeah, it's just a nice little Easter egg for that. And it's just a, it's such a fun bit of trivia because when Mark Hamill started his career in Star Wars, he was on the other side of that bar and now he's been promoted to behind the bar, you know, towards the end of his Star Wars career. Although I hope his Star Wars career never ends, but you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's usually for like Mark, because Mark Hamill does have a lot of voice acting these days and it's usually not too difficult to work out 
what characters Mark Hamill's playing because, you know, one is done like so many different voice actors acting jobs that you kind of get a sense of like even these different like voices, you know, from like the Joker to um, <clears throat> uh, Lord Sozin in um, Avatar. There's probably more, I can't think off the top of my head, but, and obviously you get a sense for Mark Hamill's voice. It's in Justice League as well. That's it, it's in Justice League, the cartoon series. Um, but like, I could not, even watching it today, knowing that it is Mark Hamill behind that bar, like, I still had no idea that I was in, like, you couldn't tell at all. Yeah, um, it's like edited so much, the, the yeah. vocal range and everything, yeah. But it's a cool thing to know. Yeah, it is a cool thing to know. So, yeah, favorite background <laughs> character. I think the draw's name is like EV9, something like that. That's a good pull, that. <laughs> so, yeah, there you go. So, could you imagine if uh, Din, Din Djarin turned around and was like, wait a minute, you sound like Luke Skywalker. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> Um, so my favourite background character is also in that exact same scene and he is also sat around the bar but um, my favourite background character is the, the giant ant looking alien sat at the bar <clears throat> who we don't find out until season two is actually called Dr Mandible um, but I just the, the thing that I loved about the original Mos Eisley Cantina scene is just like all the really weird aliens sat around the various tables um and just like that that w- weird world <clears throat> that star wars takes us into where there's always just different looking aliens just like some of them are smoking some of them are fighting some of them are just staring and i think this episode captures that quite nicely of um this massive ant <laughs> sat at the bar <laughs> drinking um dr mandible we now know his name is but i just i think it sums up everything that people love about star wars which is just the weird and the, the wacky and the funny looking aliens and i think this um is just another great example of it but he goes on to be such a significant character in season two he deserves to be mentioned <laughs> no, that's such a good background character that is i mean i know it's not revealed later on in season two but that's still <clears throat> a fantastic name for an ant-looking creature to be called Dr. Mandibles. Um, yeah, exactly. Bloody, bloody brilliant. And the fact that the next time he appears is in an episode directed by the director of Ant-Man. It's full circle. It's perfect. <laughs> yeah, full circle. He's, I mean, you, you can't write this stuff. I know. Star Wars is just, it's too genius sometimes. <laughs> should, we, um, yeah. should we dive into this episode's Easter eggs? Because there there are plenty. Yeah, go for it. So as as per usual with our Easter eggs, <clears throat> I will just read out the list of Easter eggs and uh, John, you can give them, give them ratings out of five stars um, and hopefully this won't take too long because there's a hefty amount of Easter eggs and I've definitely missed some. So we'll just, uh, well, it's just Easter eggs and connections. I guess some of them probably aren't Easter eggs because they're quite obvious, but you know, Easter eggs, connections, that sort of thing. You ready? Go for it. So uh, the first obvious one, obviously, Mando visits Mos Eisley on Tatooine, the home planet of Luke and Anakin Skywalker. Uh, three. Mando shoots at a group of pit droids, and pit droids are the repair droids that first appeared in The Phantom Menace. Ooh, three. The uh, Peli and her pit droids are playing a game of Sabacc. Sabacc is a card game in the Star Wars universe, first mentioned by Han Solo in An Empire Strikes Back, and seen in Solo's Star Wars story when Han beats Lando. Four. Mando goes to the Mos Eisley Cantina, also known as Chowman's Spaceport Cantina from A New Hope. Um, This is something we've already mentioned, but back then no droids were allowed. But now the barman is no longer Wu Hare, but is now a droid voiced by Mark Hamill. 
Uh, four. That was quite a lot of bit. That's quite a lot there. <laughs> um, see, there's a in the cantina scene, an ast- a red astromech droid uh, rolls past the screen. That droid is now confirmed to be R5D4, the droid first sold to Luke and Owen by the Jawas in A New Hope. That they returned because he had a faulty motivator, and you can see <clears throat> on the top of R5D4 the scoring from where the faulty motivator is in a, in a canon novel called from a certain point of view in a short story, it's revealed that R5 intentionally sabotaged himself so that Luke and Owen would have to buy R2 because R2 revealed to him the importance of his mission. <laughs> Five. What an Easter egg. Um, mentioned this one earlier. Toro Calacan is set in the exact same seat. Han Solo was sat in when he killed Greedo. Four. Um, Mando mentions that Fennec Shan used to work for the Huts. We all know the Huts as the big slug-like creatures um, first appeared in Return of the Jedi, well, technically in A New Hope um, in the re-release, but with Jabba the Hutt. Uh, four. Mando and Toro ride speeder bikes. These vehicles were first seen in Return of the Jedi on Endor and became a common piece of transport across Star Wars. Toro also mentions Corellia, which is the home world of Han Solo. Three. Mando and Toro come across Tusken Raiders. These iconic creatures first appeared in A New Hope when they attacked Luke Skywalker in Beggar's Canyon. Uh, four. Beggar's Canyon was also mentioned by Thingwee. <laughs> I've forgotten her name. Pelly. Pelly somewhere yeah. for the pit droid to take the body. And uh, Luke first mentioned Beggar's Canyon back in A New Hope, which is where him and Biggs used to go and like race their uh, ships. T-16s. Um, we see a dewback in this episode. These reptile-like creatures are native of Tatooine and have been seen previously in A New Hope, ridden by Imperial Sand Troopers. Uh, four. And um, <laughs> funnily enough, the when I first wrote this list, uh, this list of Easter eggs, uh, at the end of the episode, a mysterious figure comes across Fennec Shan's body. And uh, I had been speculating on who it was but we now know that that's Boba Fett's body and that probably should have been obvious to me and all of us at the time because the sound effects of him walking is the exact same boot noises that uh, Boba Fett used to make back in the original trilogy uh, Five I didn't know that about the boots I didn't yeah. think that though when I was sort watching like The cowboy spurs noise yeah. and Boba Fett used to make those noises so yeah those are the Easter eggs, and I'm, I'm sure there's loads more. Um, I mean, another one that I noticed that I didn't even write on here is you can actually see um, Frog Frog Lady from season two in this episode sat at one of the tables in the bar. So there's another one, another bonus one there. Oh, class. What a lovely character. I'll give that a four. So yeah, that's uh, that basically sums up our discussion of this episode. I think it's um, a fun episode, a nostalgic episode. Um Good introduction for a couple characters, a good tease for the return of the king himself, Boba Fett. Um, but also, you know, an episode which is not quite as um dramatic and consequential as some of the other ones in season one, but a good fun one nonetheless. Yeah, it was a good episode, to be fair. I mean, as I said earlier, there's no bad episodes of Mandalorian. So this is this is an enjoyable watch of yeah, as you said, like lots of uh nostalgic moments and and uh Bits like that, so yeah, an enjoyable rewatch. Yeah, you can just tell Dave Filoni had a lot of fun making this one, and that's all that counts. Yeah, hundred percent. As long as, uh, as long as it's enjoyable for uh, the directors, writers, and then the audience, uh, what more can you ask for? 
Exactly. So, um, so yeah, that, that rounds up this, this episode of the Mando rewatch. As I said, we'll be back doing Mando rewatch stuff at some point in the future, but we've got a very big TV show called the book of Boba Fett coming out soon. So that's going to be, um, a big focus for us in the next couple of weeks. But, you know, we just mentioned, did we not? Boba Fett appeared in this episode on the back on the sands of Tatooine. And we're going to be seeing him back on the sands of Tatooine in just, just over two weeks time. So I'm very excited about that. And I'm sure you are too, John. Yeah, I'm very excited. Uh, as I've mentioned before in this um, podcast, you know, big fan of uh, Boba Fett and one of my favorites since I was a kid, even though for his, his lack of actually doing anything in the um, original trilogy. Um, so I'm very excited just to see more, um, more Boba Fett and more Tamara Morrison. What, what a fella. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> so over the next two weeks, um, you can expect a couple of Boba Fett folks episodes. I think the plan is that we're going to do an episode talking about the recent War of the Bounty Hunters comic book series slash event, because that was a good Boba Fett storyline that sort of fills in some of the gaps of Boba Fett's character in canon. And then the week before Boba Fett starts, we'll have a nice best moments for top five or top 10 or whatever it is, Boba Fett moments. So we can just talk about Boba Fett all episode long and all the great things he's done or evil things he's done in Star Wars canon. So um, hopefully those will be two fun episodes before the series starts and we hopefully see Bosk. Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to diving into a bit more Boba Fett on the podcast and then lead up nicely to the best Star Wars series to come out. Hopefully, hopefully. I hope every every series is the best Star Wars series to come out. But seeing that this is the next one, that's what I'm crossing my fingers for. If it's got Bosk in it, it will be the best Star Wars series to come out. So (laughs) Dave Filoni, you've got three weeks to add him in if you haven't already done it. He's quickly running back some uh, some post ops, <laughs> some additional shots. photography just yeah. to get Boskin. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that wraps up today's episode. If you've enjoyed it, make sure you follow, subscribe, like our podcast <clears throat> on whatever app you use, so you don't miss an episode. We post new episodes every week. Um, follow us on Instagram at Live from Vader's Castle, Twitter at Vader's Castle Pod, or on YouTube, Twitch, TikTok all at live from Vader's castle. Um, and let us know if you've enjoyed the episode, leave a review. If you can leave a review on the, um, podcast app that you use, it really helps. And yeah, thank you very much for listening. John, you can close us out as always. Thank you very much for listening guys. And we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.